Welcome one and all to the Not The Top 20 podcast. This is the Monday pod where we look back at the EFL weekend and it was an eventful one, an entertaining one, plenty to get our teeth stuck into. We are Ali Maxwell and we are George Ellick. George, we're sponsored also by the Skybet EFL Rewards app, the only app you need as an EFL fan. Yes, although I hope nobody gets their teeth stuck into anything. I think you just want to get your teeth into it. Um, We are sponsored by the Skybet EFL Rewards app, the must-have app for any EFL fans out there, whether you're checking in before watching a game on iFollow or hopefully very soon back in stadiums or playing the predictor. Um, so many great, great prizes you can win, whether it's um, you know iFollow passes, match passes for the day, signed shirts, so much stuff there. So if you haven't downloaded it yet, they've been great sponsors of ours this season and we demand, we demand that you do. Tons right and tons, yeah, tons and tons of prizes given out each week on the Skybet EFL Rewards app. George, you mentioned the match passes. That's iFollow or your club's streaming service. Signed shirts as well being dished out left, right, and centre uh, across the UK and beyond. Uh, but also more recently, they've added uh, a replica EFL match ball from Mitre and Football Manager Twenty One copies as well, up for grabs too. And and those two certainly for me. Um, about as good as it gets. I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping to get my hands on one of these replicables. Uh, already a player and a lover of FM21. And uh, that game is as good as ever this year. So make sure you're checking into your team's games. Make sure you're playing the predictor and make sure you've downloaded the Skybet EFL Rewards app. They are the sponsors of Not The Top 20 Podcast Monday Pod. George, I remember a long time ago reading a piece by Sid Lowe about Spanish football on The Guardian. And... A phrase that he told me about has always stuck in my head. In Spain, they say, I Liga, which means sort of crudely, there is league. And basically, when it looks like a team's pulling away at the top of La Liga, and then there's a, a flurry of results and things getting a little bit closer, and it's basically saying, right, we've got a title race on our hands. It, it becomes clear that it might go down to the wire. And newspaper headlines say, I Liga, in capital letters. And radio presenters scream, I Liga, game on, essentially. Podcasters. George, I'd like to start today's pod by saying to you, in the championship, <laughs> I Liga, because on Friday night, Swansea beat Norwich 2-0. Brentford followed that up on Saturday with a 4-1 win against Middlesbrough. And what that means is, at the top of the glorious Skybet championship, Norwich, 55 points from 28. Brentford, 54 points from 27. Swansea, 53 points from 27. How about that, buddy? That's not bad, is it, when you're covering these leagues? This is what we want. It's interesting that you mentioned the Spanish thing because you know how Barcelona fans say Mesca and club. Mm. But as you well know, Ali, I often say Mesca and league. <laughs> the championship is is more than just a league. It is a way of life. A, it is a way of life, yeah. And this edition, for a while, looked like it might be quite... A boring one, you know, the champions from two years ago just romping home and returning back up to the Premier League with plenty of the players they did it with the time before. None of it. The The race is now wide open and uh, and it's great to see. I mean, Norwich fans won't be happy about it. They won't be happy that they've now played four games in all competitions without scoring a goal. They won't be happy that the return of key marksman Timo Puki has coincided with the worst run of form of the season. But this is always a reminder that teams are pretty rarely as good as Norwich have been for the first 24 games of this season. A bad run, just in terms of pure variance, is always around the corner. You know, you think back to Leeds last season, they had their mini blip at quite a similar time of the campaign. You know, Norwich can easily bounce back from this and still win the league by a stretch. But similarly, you know, they could find themselves embroiled in the playoffs as well. Um, So I am, for one, delighted that it's not two teams go into one promotion spot it is now what six teams go into two <laughs> the two goals in this game uh tim cruel with a bit of a shocker for the first goal he's been one of the championships best goalkeepers this season and of course two years ago but as we always say the championship goalkeeper curse exists it is very real and it will come to bite you at the wrong time that was very much the case here it also got me thinking that has Freddie Woodman had a shocker yet? I can't think of many howlers that Woodman's had, you know. And you might think, oh, maybe he's exempt from the championship goalkeeper curse. But I would say be very afraid. You might think he's immune, but no one is. And I'm afraid at some point Freddie Woodman will drop a clanger in. So you can mark your card and uh, and remember I said that. But the second goal was 
a peach from the left foot of Conor Harahan, uh, a left foot that we've been admiring, loving for, well, five years at the very least, an absolute dreamboat of the EFL, um, back on loan at Swansea and has scored three in three games for them. Swansea have had one third of their games this season, 33% finishing 2-0 to Swansea. And I think of all the stats, that probably sums them up the best. The, the, the solid 2-0 scoreline going ahead but not sitting you know but not struggling and not conceding equalizers and not giving up chances but actually getting stronger scoring the second goal as well making sure that you 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 take that unassailable lead that's what they do so well they've scored the first goal 15 times this season they've won 14 of those 15 games having taken the lead and of the 15 occasions they've scored first george in those games they've only conceded 3 goals in that time it's an it's an incredible thing there was a brilliant stats bomb article a mid-season efl review you can head to the stats bomb site and read it It was fantastic and it detailed the numbers behind what swansea have done essentially um reducing their pressing intensity their aggression percentage as stats bomb call it which most clubs have done uh, mostly as a function of the schedule more than anything else i think but it's helped them maintain this structure or build this structure that's almost impenetrable and they just don't concede valuable chances. I think they have f- faced, according to that piece, just 11 shots with an XG value greater than 0.3 all season. That would be considered a, a big chance, I guess. In layman's terms, says the piece, they very rarely concede anything approaching a clear-cut chance. And against a very good and talented Norwich side, albeit one that's spluttering at the moment, they did a, fan- they did a, a, a fantastic <laughs> job. I kind of agree with you on, on Norwich. I mean, concerning run, but not desperate. And every single team in the top well every team in the league but but specifically those teams at the top they've all had a run like this at some point Swansea had one of their own Brentford Bournemouth Watford you name it they've all been on a little stretch like this of Norwich so uh, I'm certainly not carrying uh, getting getting too concerned the other the positive as well for Norwich is they've now played all of the rest of the top 10 away from home so even though there are no fans packing Carrow Road and creating that atmosphere, I think for a team with a strong home record over the last two seasons at this level, knowing that you've got basically your 10 biggest games of the 20 or so remaining at home um, will be a big boost for them. So, I mean, that was the big story of the Championship weekend and it's exciting, but it's not just those two going well, for the top I was, spot. I was going to say, I mean, I think we have to just mention, and I know we've spoken about him already before, but your best mate in the world, Conor Harrahan, needs a bit of a nod here because you know it, it's such a common January transfer window narrative about you know you need to get in that one player who can make the difference and you know I'm probably of the thinking that Swansea are due their their wobble soon I don't think the, the performances as good as they are are quite as good as the results are at the moment and, and I've actually been quite surprised across the three leagues how even on February the 8th we're already seeing quite a few January signings making big impacts at clubs in the EFL which you don't normally necessarily see but for Harrahan to come into a side who were incredibly reliant on Jamal Lowe and Andre Ayew for goals to slot in so quickly to score three goals and not just kind of any three goals three quality important goals in his first three games has given you know it's taken Swansea from like a, a bit probably the pretender in the in the promotion race the one club who everybody thought was going to um, slide away into a side now who people have got to take seriously because he and he's he's 29 I mean that's the amazing thing about this we spoke about him on five live on Saturday and the way that everyone talks about him you know Curtis Davis was on saying you know he's a great pro and all this stuff which is obviously true but you talk about him as if he's like the older statesman of the of the EFL he's got loads more left in the tank it's such a clever signing and having an immediate impact as well I think it's partly down to the strength of his personality uh, which we know all, all too well <laughs> having interviewed him uh, during the first lockdown for our EFL completed series uh, on what was going up going down now the totally football league show extra time um, that we do and, and he was our first he was our first guest on that show. It's the only person I wanted to kick us off. And I mean, he didn't disappoint that the, the pure mentality of the guy is terrifying. You know, in American sports, they talk about mentality monsters. And it's a phrase that makes me roll my eyes half of the time. But just coming through this this pure determination and, and the fact that he could easily, and we see it so often, have reached the Premier League, have had a season with Villa where he did not do anything wrong. He, he, he has constantly been... You know, you could feel like throughout his last year or two at Villa, they've been trying to find an upgrade. They've been trying to replace him. And actually, whenever he's played, he's played perfectly well. But, you know, I think everyone understands that maybe at the very top level, the physicality might not be there, the, the mobility in midfield, and that's fine. But he doesn't let those weaknesses 
particularly impact his team mm. in a negative sense or his performances. I think he even spoke to us about focusing on what he can do and getting even better at that. Uh, and the proof's in the pudding. The, the set-piece delivery is not to be sniffed at. The, the threat from range is not to be sniffed at and that pure mentality as well. Um, he's obviously got two other central midfielders in Grimes and Fulton that are going to uh, you know, give him the licence to, to do what he does and uh, slotted him very well, as you say. Um, 10 minutes in already, one big game discussed. So <laughs> let's move on to Middlesbrough 1, Brentford 4 because Bees are... Well, are they current favourites for the title? I dare say they might be. They're, they're actually above Norwich I will, on P- I will look now. Above Norwich on PPG, if not on pure P at the moment. Uh, George, every time I hear the updated number of games, they're unbeaten. It feels like it's gone up two or three, and I guess that that's a function of how how <laughs> how packed the schedule is right now. But isn't it astonishing? Twenty games unbeaten in this season of all seasons, George. Twelve wins. And eight draws in that time. And I think it's six wins in their last seven or something like that. They are absolutely buzzing. It's Yeah, it's, it's incredible. I mean, to, to answer your question, they are the favourites to win the title now. Their best price, even money. Um, odds on in most places, Norwich around about the two to one mark. Swansea five to one. Um, what's amazing about it, though, is the transformation that we've seen of Brentford under Thomas Frank. They went from being a side who were irresistible going forward but you can never really rely on them to to keep it tight to a side who maybe in the last kind of four or five months grew that extra and the back end of last season had that defensive um, grit towards them and then even though they may have lost a bit of their attacking vigor you know not in terms of attacking personnel because obviously Watkins, Ben Rama, Tony this season are still doing amazing things but they didn't play with that same swagger but now what you're seeing is is a side who have regained that ability to 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 play in a way that that creates so many opportunities and so many goals and whilst they have you know they have I think they've kept one clean sheet in the last seven or eight in the leagues they've they've certainly lost something at the back but at no detriment to their ability to pick up points because now it's fine like if if they are going to concede the odd goal here or there they've got enough firepower in their ranks to um to break teams down they don't have the same trouble to to get past the low block that they used to have and they are incredibly good on the counter-attack and maybe part of this is because of the range of attacking threats that they have you know Tony is clearly the headline goal scorer he's the one that people are going to focus on stopping but you're seeing players coming to the fore in recent weeks who you wouldn't necessarily expect to whether that's Tariq Fosu being you know creator-in-chief at the moment whether it's Matthias Jensen playing a more advanced role than we're used to seeing suddenly it feels like players who maybe we've or maybe I've underestimated in the past in terms of what they could do as attacking forces for Brentford. So basically getting rid of Bomo, getting rid of De Silva and getting rid of Tony, are proving themselves to be more than able of, of playing supporting roles or even more. And this was the case again, you know, we saw them go behind to a Borough side who, you know, we'd, we'd anticipate would be fairly good at holding on to a lead. And whilst Borough were able to create a fair few chances in the game, generally, Brentford just looked dangerous every time they went forward and were able to turn those those attacking threats into into goals and into points. It's it's amazing to see. And you know, we, we speak about Norwich, we speak about Swansea and, and the sustainability of these runs. And you know, this run of run of Brentford of twenty games without losing is gonna end pretty soon. But the the level of dominance they're showing over those sides is so impressive. You know, you look at the, the Bristol City 3-2, that is a fake scoreline. You know, they were 3-1 up in that game. They conceded early. The 7-2, the 4-1, they are, they're blitzing teams at the moment and that's going to make them very hard to deal with. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point you raise about their transformation. I think what's interesting is that they're just as good going forward as they have been previously in terms of like chance creation, shot volume, expected goals numbers, goals scored, they're all basically the same. But you're, I mean, it is true that they look different and the way they go about it is different. And I think like there's a there's something to do with aesthetics here, I think, where like previously they were so pretty and players like Ben Rama really were, were, were the ones that everyone wanted to see. And now maybe they're slightly less of what this sort of general idea of football aesthetics is in terms of prettiness but in terms of actual output nothing's really changed and uh, and as you say maybe even more varied atta- uh, attacking approach I mean Tony has 22 goals I think it's worth pointing out he's got seven assists as well one of them mm. on the weekend a nice little chest through for uh, for his teammate uh, possibly offside but I think that I mean that's amazing isn't it like top goal scorer in the league and third equal for assists only Elise 
and uh, who's the other lad? Elliot have more than him. So it's pretty amazing. Other key performers here were Raya, who for the second time in three games is has been targeted by set-piece delivery, sort of chucked on top of him and, and maybe getting a little bump. And he's not dealing with that particularly well at times, but some astonishing saves in this game, I have to say. Mm. Um, and Jan Elt as well, getting a lot of love in midfield. Of course, early season concern when Norgard picked up that big injury. And as is the Brentford way... Um, gap filled by someone who's come in and is thriving i'd love to be contrary and find reasons to say i can see an obvious problem on the horizon but the only thing really is the schedule you know they have got a couple of games to make up still and and they're going to have to play every three days which we know is difficult and maybe you know with, with any team when you're clutching at straws you say maybe injuries could derail them but even that i mean you said they're conceding a bit more recently jansen's out Mads Beck Sorensen comes in and he's still sort of... And Winnie Reid to come as well. Yeah, yeah, if if, if Winston Reid <laughs> ever plays. I mean, the guy's barely played football for about four years. He played, um, he played, he played a whole season for Wellington, was it? Or no, Kansas uh, City, in, in I the think. States, in, yeah, you're right. Yeah, in the MLS, yeah. That's a good point, that's a good point. Uh, but Sorensen's come in. I mean, this is a guy who's played, what, probably 30 league starts uh, across Wimbledon and Brentford in previous seasons, still very young and, and getting to grips with things. No Norgard, as I said, no De Silva in the last few games, and Burmo hasn't started the last three as well, and mm. they keep on rolling. And it, it's, it, you know, I know that we've, we've come in... For some uh, for some stick in the past for being too pro bees, but it, it's almost like George when you've got smart people working at your club with an overarching, unflustered way of operating that everyone in the organisation understands and which gets the best out of everyone and which doesn't panic when things don't go your way. You improve year on year on year, even if it's only a small amount, and eventually that will end in success. That's one thing we've always been very bullish on, and maybe, maybe. That's more, more, as likely now <laughs> as it has ever been in the five years we've done this pod. Um, it's very, very impressive. Uh, it makes me think that we should get someone very, very smart to oversee this podcast and then we'll improve <laughs> year on year and end in success. <laughs> We're on the decline. We're lurching. We're <laughs> lurching from manager to manager. Um, okay, quick hits from the championship. Probably, the well, some two surprising results we'll start with. M- Millwall, Sheffield Wednesday had nil-nil written all over it. And Millwall put together this bizarre blitz of like kind of random maybe slightly lucky goals and won 4-1 which is much needed it's only their third win in 20 games George uh, and Scott Malone kind of turned into this Roberto Carlos Paul Gascoigne hybrid for 10 seconds or so and, and Latisse all, all wrapped into one um, yeah I'm, I'm blaming um, Westwood for most of these goals I think because as, as great as Scott Malone's skill was <clears throat> To, to get him in the position to get the shot off, Westwood's got to save it at his, at his near post. And I, I almost feel sorry for Scott Malone that he so nearly scored an absolute worldie, but at the end of the day, keeper's got to save it, mate. Um, but the the Ben Thompson goal was, I don't care what anybody says, was a cross, and his um, his reaction to it was a cross. And then I don't know if Marlon Romeo has been given the goal. Or, I think it got um, given to Bradshaw. Yeah, I think this is just fairly fortuitous, but it's a Millwall side who I think are worthy of some fortune i think it's against the sheffield wednesday side who are probably worthy of some bad luck after the run they've been on you know they're they probably weren't deserving of winning you know their last three games before this so maybe it's just a a big game of variance playing out in front of us um but you know millwall have been have been better in recent weeks and and so yeah i mean i'm not going to call this one a surprise The, the, the difficulty now comes with sheffield wednesday and what they do you know, what approach they take from here in order to try and make sure they stay up. That's very clever of you because you, you, I think you know that I'm going to ask you a question <laughs> that was sent in on, on Twitter by Mark, Sheffield Wednesday fan. I'm, I'm really interested to hear what you have to say here because I've always found, well, obviously I find you fascinating in general, but I've always found your 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 quite consistent views on caretaker managers uh, is always a topic where you excel. So Mark says, should Sheffield Wednesday carry on as they are with Neil Thompson in charge for the rest of this season? Um, they've obviously had, I think they've picked up at least four wins under him. Um, yeah, they've won four of their last six. So they've been in good form, still very much in the relegation zone, of course, 25 points um, with safety three points away. Mark says, it makes sense to me as there's so many games, so little time on the training pitch and no transfer window. Should they concentrate on looking for a perm manager now uh, or to take over at the end of the season? Uh, it's all gone a bit quiet on this front, hasn't it? Do, do you think, mm. do you get the feeling that they're leaning towards just just trying to ride this Thompson wave and do you think that's the right well, thing? 
I saw Cosmin Concha was linked to the job at the end of last week, which would suggest that, you know, Dejan Chansiri is still casting a pretty wide net in terms of, of recruitment. <laughs> Cosmin Concha? Is, to- is, yeah. is Thomas Helveg second favourite? No, not, not that I know of. Um, but I, um, I think there, are, there aren't many things that I am... Um, I have sympathy with Dejan Chansiri for, to be honest. But this decision is probably one of them because he's kind of damned if he does and he's damned if he doesn't. If, you know, right now from, well, certainly before the Millwall game, the, from what I saw, the the overwhelming majority of Sheffield Wednesday fans were happy with Thompson to continue overseeing first-team affairs. And that's not a surprise given the run of results that we saw. We saw them going to Bournemouth and beating them 2-1, the Preston result, the Derby result. So, you know that at the moment the, the popular vote would go to that realistically there are going to be better options and plenty of them in order to come in and improve the Sheffield Wednesday side I can see why um, Wednesday fans will probably disagree with that because they brought in supposedly the ultimate firefighter in Tony Pulis who arrived at the club basically told the whole world the players were crap and there was nothing he could do with them before then being asked to leave but I, I would I would say that someone like Paul Cook, I know there's talk about the, the, the terms he was offered and why why that hasn't happened or whatever. But I think it's pretty cl- clear for me to see that even between now and the end of the season, someone like that would probably be a better shout than Thompson. The issue that Chancery's got is if he, you know, he he is the person who is culpable for his actions, right? So the fans who are now saying let's stick with Thompson, if they go and they lose to went to Wickham and it's suddenly looking too late to make it, make a change, then it is immediately his his fault for not looking to bring someone in sooner. If they get relegated to league, to, sorry, to league One from the Championship, having sacked Tony Pulis and not replaced him with anybody, then that is not going to look very clever either. So I would always personally side with the... Um, with the, uh, bringing in... If there's somebody better and available, bringing them in. I think, as is often the case, I think we saw... Sorry to use the word again, but we saw some natural variants in terms of the results that came after Tony Pulis left the club. I'm not convinced that, that Thompson himself has done a great deal to to earn those. You look at some of the games themselves. You know the the uh, the Derby game in particular was was an absolute madness. So <laughs> I I would yeah if I was a Wednesday fan I'd want someone else to be brought in, but it would have to be the right man. It's difficult. Try not to be blinded maybe by. The results that have happened already, even though that seems counterintuitive, um, maybe try and look and, and maybe try and look at the the performances. I suppose um, Preston one, Rotherham two is another eye catching result. George back to back wins for the Millers, four wins in six now for them. They're going great guns. They they made five changes in this game, and there was a suggestion that that there was maybe a case of Paul Warren prioritising upcoming games. Maybe you'd say more winnable games, uh, and then of course within a minute they were ahead thanks to a comedy own goal. Uh, things are going very well for Rotherham at the moment. Michael's asked: Are are UFC living up to their potential, or are they just to to coin a George term, running hot? <laughs> well, I mean, I think any team who wins at the rate they are is running hot, but but they're, they're deserving. I mean, I would probably argue that they're over the course of the season they're running cold because I don't think they are a side who should be in in the bottom three or four. Um, I had a quick look into the data side of things. Interestingly, I mean, I, this is on footballxg.com. And if you look at the championship XG table that they've got, their their XG difference over the course of the season is is basically nil. Like their their XG for and their XG against is, is basically the same over the course of the season, which pretty similar, suggest- pretty similar on Fox Punter. Their XG yeah. ratio is about 49%. Um yeah. So, so that's that, so that so that would have them kind of mid table. You know, Mid table, exactly. But then they have an expected, and this is, you know, a, a use of XG that I'm definitely not sold on at all. But the old expected points, where it works out how many points you're expected to win, taking the XG difference game by game. And for that, they're only on 25 points, which has them overperforming now by four points. So I'd have to look into it more to understand what's going on there. It, it seems to me like maybe the last few games where they are scoring basically three goals a game has skewed it in their favour, which which would support the idea that they're now playing much better. A look at the game-by-game game XG over the last few, and, and they're they're not getting lucky at all. You know, you look at the press, you look at the Preston game from um, from the weekend, and in that game they were deserving of 
the result because if you think as well the um the own goal doesn't count into what they created what what was created into it and their xg4 was still 1.58 Preston's was 0.5 so they were very much good value for that this seems to be the case kind of across all the games recently so I think it's it's a case of, of Paul Warren improving this size. I think they've been unlucky to be as low as they have been so far this season. I think a few of the of the players who are stepping up now. I mean, I think Lewis Wing played a pretty important part in this in this win. Um, if Paul Warren can teach him to do something apart from shoot, and then he might have a bit of a player on his hands. He's 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 trying to do it subliminally by giving him the number five shirt. I'm not having. <laughs> I am not having Lewis Wing. I was so confused when I saw Rotherham's number five like darting into the box I, because, <laughs> you know, you get used to seeing a certain player in a certain shirt and I, I haven't yet adapted to wing playing for Rotherham. But, I mean, a hell of a performance, you have to say. But, yeah, I'm not having that. It's as if he's some sort of Javier Mascherano. Um, <laughs> he played very well. I mean, yeah, just to pick up on what you said, uh, Fox Punter's XG ratio tables, Rotherham fourth best in the league over the last four, over the last eight as well. That's not including the weekend's game, which I haven't, I haven't had the updated ones yet. And even just looking at pure shots uh, over the last six, um, 71 shots for 64 a game. They're racking them up. That's seventh most uh, taken in the league. So they're certainly not on some like crazy conversion rate. Um, I mean, I'm sure you, you probably can't expect it to continue like this, but what if it does? What if it does? I'm excited either way. For, for Preston fans, not what you want to hear after a home defeat to, to Rotherham, I think, but just a period of transition, I think, is what we can expect. Uh, Neil said in his post-match, didn't he? Eight in, eight out in January in terms of, of new players and players who have left. So, I mean, from what I've seen in the last few weeks, it's, it's bitty, isn't it? There are moments where I think I can see something developing and then there's poor moments as well. I, I think between now and the end of the season, they'll get some big scalps, potentially. I think they'll lose some games against te teams near the bottom, probably, and just generally be quite inconsistent. Um, and it's probably worth pointing out that I think they should have had a penalty as well in, in this one. Uh, Bournemouth 3, Birmingham 2 was a fairly lively affair. Johnny Woodgate in charge. Uh, of Bournemouth on an interim basis. Quite a bizarre scenario, that, right? Got brought in, uh, I mean, by Jason Tindall, as far as I can tell, to replace Graham Jones, the outgoing Graham Jones. And then um, within two days, Tindall was gone. So you had Graham Jones, who managed Luton last year <laughs> quite unsuccessfully, was sacked and then was becoming a very popular assistant manager with Bournemouth and now is in the Premier League as Steve Bruce's first team coach. And then you got Jonathan Woodgate, who had a very tough time with Middlesbrough last season, uh, in the hot seat, uh, brought in as a first-team coach and now now has a win under his belt, uh, George. 3-2 against Birmingham. I think Dan Juma, the big difference maker here, he, he missed a large chunk of games, didn't he? Just feeling his way back. And I think we all know now that Dan Juma at his best is about as good as this league has, uh, but that he hasn't shown it consistently, I think it's fair to say. Mm. But the first goal, you know, direct running, one-on-one -on -one with George Friend, only one winner, popped it in the corner. The second goal, it was his speed to drag the team up the pitch on the counter-attack and, and retain the ball and play the clever pass as well. And then the third goal was his set-piece, wicked delivery tapped in by Billing. So, um, you know, good for Bournemouth to get a win after such a poor run. But in terms of the next manager, I mean, my first note was John Terry, question mark, and then that's turned into David Wagner, question mark. And then not long before we started recording, Big Harry Redknapp's on Sky Sports News. He's just asked me to come and have a look at training. I'm just going to have a couple of days, just <laughs> just take a look at things and uh, lend a hand. So what on earth is going on? I don't know. Um, you know, first first and foremost, on the game on Saturday, I thought Bournemouth were very lucky. Well, not lucky to get their win, but it was a classic case of just having certain players. You know, you mentioned Dan Juma. I mean, looking at Jack Wilshere as well. I mean, that's an incredible header of his. Not some, not something we really associate him with. I think, this it, was a case. I, I think that came off the wrong side of his face. Just, just hit the side of his head and gone in. Um, but they, this just felt like a game where one team had better players than the other team. So even though the other team were actually probably the better side, they ended up losing it. I thought Birmingham were, were, were very good as they have been on the road often this season. And wow, Christian Pedersen uh, robbed of, you know, he was, he was offside, but would have been the goal of the weekend. Uh, in terms of the, of the manager race, um, you know, David Ornstein in his column, uh, always good to see him doing a bit of EFL stuff in The Athletic. And he wrote about Frank Lampard saying that I think Frank Lampard um, isn't really ready to move into another job. Probably not that surprising given his kind of whirlwind couple of years, first couple of seasons in in football management. 
John Terry has been interested in the past and was overlooked back in the summer, um, which would suggest there's some interest there, but maybe not the willingness from Bournemouth. David Wagner is a really interesting one where it was such a different job at Huddersfield. You know, at Huddersfield, he took over a side with minimal uh, expectations, with without a raft of technically gifted players and turn them into a side who got promotion to the Premier League, survived for a season, brought in the kind of players that that, that were needed. Well, I mean, the recruitment in the in the in the last season was absolutely terrible, but initially he needed to get there. I, I don't know a great deal about his time at Schalke. I obviously know that Schalke are now not a very good side. Um, so, I mean. As somebody who loved what he did at Huddersfield, I'd be really excited by this appointment because I feel like his brand of football, if he could get it out of this Bournemouth side, would be a massive improvement on what we've already seen. But there clearly seem to be some red flags as to what's happened since then. Um, And with Redknapp, I'll talk about it if it happens, I think. Uh, For Birmingham, as you said, they were pretty good here. (laughs) Certainly more lively going forward than usual one way of measuring that i found is to see how many shots scott hogan has because he's he is <laughs> he's literally if you said to me who's a striker in the championship least capable of creating their own shot um basically creating a chance for themselves on the ball not i mean with his movement i i think that would be harsh to say but as in on the ball hogan's probably it and therefore it's quite a good measure of how many chances a team is creating by seeing how many shots hogan has had and only twice in his 16 starts this season has he had more than two shots in a game which is pretty pathetic and and kind of sums up their problems creating from open play four shots in this game for hogan um and so i think you know one weird way of measuring that they were yeah they were active at least um but it's another defeat and they've only won one in 11 George, six points in that time and now into the relegation zone. Uh, Their next games, Luton, Millwall, Sheffield Wednesday. So keep an eye on Birmingham City. The next 10 days or so is going to be pretty crucial, you'd think, um, as to whether they are bang in it or whether they could get themselves out of it and build on on what was a a decent display. Uh, George, I need you to explain Queen's Park Rangers to me. They beat beat Blackburn 1-0 on the weekend. They've won four of their last five league games. And I just can't pick them whatsoever. The only thing I well, know... You, it's because you think they're terrible every week and every week they win. <laughs> yeah, which basically I'm, I'm palming this off on you for that reason. <laughs> yeah, they were they were decent again. I mean, we, we always expect Blackburn to create a lot of chances and, and they did, but mostly from range. Uh, Dieng made a couple of really good saves from Adam Armstrong, um, which with a difference, uh, Harvey Elliott, missed a golden chance going over the bar um, which we're not really too used to seeing from him but QPR were were good value for it I mean it was a scrappy goal to get ahead they managed to kind of keep Blackburn at arm's length great to see how popular Rob Dickey is with QPR fans they are you know I, I sometimes get tagged in quite a lot of their tweets about him because people know that I obviously like him from his days at Oxford and, you know, the classic case of, you know, it doesn't matter who anyone else has got. We've got the best centre-back in the championship and stuff coming up, which is great to see because he's a very good player. And somebody who who seems to have improved QPR a lot uh, at the back. So, yeah, I mean, this has been a big couple of weeks for them. Um, they were certainly one of the sides who a lot of us who are looking at that that group of teams just above the relegation zone with the likes of Rotherham and Derby and, and Forrest picking up points, looking for who was going to be sucked in. The two names that came up a lot, well, the three names that came up a lot were Birmingham, QPR and Millwall. And all three of them, I think, have shown over the last couple of weeks that they're up for the fight and, and no more, none more so than QPR. Yeah, great win for them. Frustration for, for Blackburn, I think it's fair to say. Not building on back-to-back 1-0 wins before this game. And yeah, I mean, just does does any of that group outside the playoffs actually fancy it? Middlesbrough, Blackburn, Stoke... Bristol City more than any of them um pretty poor actually all four of those teams in the in the last eight to ten games have, have dropped off and what it means you could, is you could almost go all the way up to Reading yeah 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 well yeah but Watford and Bournemouth have got the they're in it I know I know so, but I'm saying that but they're not they don't seem very up for it either but, but that's what yeah so what I'm saying to you is we've got two or well, it looks like we've got at least two vulnerable teams mm. in the playoff places and I'm asking yeah. do any of you actually fancy you know, stealing their lunch is what I'm saying because <laughs> at the moment it doesn't look like it. And um, yeah, uh, amazing performance from Seni Dieng. The Five Yards Twitter account did a really good uh, uh, sort of bit of uh, underlying stuff on Championship goalkeepers ten days ago or so, 
And right up there with Krull and Begovic and Woodman was uh, Seni Dieng. So it's been really nice to see him develop a couple of loans uh, in the, in League Two and League One and now thriving in the Championship. Unbelievable athleticism and, and reach he's got. Um, but sadly, as you know, George, that means it's not going to be long before there's an array of clangers, each more improbable than the last, <laughs> because that is how it works with the curse. Two more games to talk on. Uh, Bristol City nil, Cardiff 2 uh, and Wickham nil, Nottingham Forest 3. Which of those two, George, do you fancy talking about first? Should we do Wickham nil, Forest three? Because you know you've got a fear for Wickham, but this is starting. We're starting to see signs now. I think of Forest under Chris Hutton actually being maybe quite good. Um, they created loads here. Now I, I wasn't necessarily convinced that Glenn Murray coming into the side was going to have a big difference because they've been pretty toothless going forward even during this solid run under Hewton but <clears throat> but they you know they had 17 shots in the game um you know it's against the Wickham side who especially at the moment are struggling to keep teams um quiet a beautiful first finish from from Glen Murray I kind of feel like <clears throat> the signings like this one a goal like that can can almost pave the way for the signing to be a success because this is a guy who has just had a, a really poor loan spell at Watford where he wasn't used. He hasn't scored a goal for a long time. Coming into a side who, again, as we say, we, we doubt whether or not he is going to get the service, but to immediately get on the score sheet with, um, with a lovely lob and then get the penalty later on, it's big for them. And it, and it kind of shows they've now got a new man. It's been Lewis Graben for, for two, two and a half years. They've now got a new guy to lead the line. Graben's going to have to perform well to keep his place. Um, yeah, impressive from Forrest. Uh, an important win. This was the game where they had to, they had to do this. They had to say, All right, this is it. We're playing against the worst team in the division. We've lost one game in our last eight. This is our chance to show everybody what we are all about. And, and, and they did manage that. I'm trying almost desperately not to get carried away by the fact that they've beaten Wickham fairly handily because of Wickham's poor form recently. One win in their last 16, just eight goals they've scored in 14 home games. And that is not going to get you where you need to be. They, You know, uh, someone like Knight at the back, who's been one of their more solid performers, was was, was desperately poor here and, and Murray took full advantage. Nice to see Murray in the goals, Knockart and Gaetan Bong getting an assist as well. It was like 2016-17 all over again. Um, Bristol City, nil, Cardiff 2. I want to shout out Kiefer Moore, Huge positive for Cardiff this season. It's been a brilliant signing, you have to say. We spoke about Kiefer a bit uh, at the very beginning of the season. You had high hopes for him. Uh, certainly one of our preseason betting shows. Uh, I think you've bought his goals and you've been proven right there. He's thriving in mm. this role in the Welsh capital. In fact, if you strip out penalties, uh, because he doesn't take their pens, and, fo- no. and focus just on open play contribution, outside of the big three, Tony, Armstrong and Joao, He's been the best goal scorer in the league in, in terms of um, goal contribution per 90. So he uh, showed it again in this one. Great movement, great header. I think he's quicker than people give him credit for more. Mm. It allows him to find space in the box and, uh, and he can be quite dangerous in, in transition as well, which, which people might not think given his size. And as for Bristol City, I mean, you only need to go back to last week's pod to listen to what you have to say about them. You said... And I quote, I reckon in their current guys, they are one of the worst teams in the league. Uh, It's undeniable. Since then, they've lost both games. Um, In their last five games, they've had only 25 shots total. That's not shots on target, shots in five games. And I I calculate they've been behind for about 60% of that time as well. Desperate, desperate stuff. Usual caveat supply about uh, lots of injuries and still piling up. Um... But, El, El, you know, El Sakako on Saturday. Two things can be true, right? You you can feel very, very bad for a club's injury list and you can also think that they are playing horrendously. Um, and uh, yeah, they, they've they've taken the fewest shots in the league in the in the last 10 games and they've faced the third most. So um, it, it could be injuries, but it could also be something more serious, something sort of systemic, I guess, in the football that they're playing. Very, very little uh, chance creation, very few shots being generated. And that is concerning. Right, before we talk League One, just a reminder that if you haven't downloaded the Skybet EFL Rewards app, Now's a good time to do it. You can check into your team's game in midweek and the weekend from anywhere in the world and, and put yourself in with a chance of winning prizes on the spinner. We're talking I follow match passes. We're talking signed shirts from your club. We're talking Football Manager 21 codes. And we're talking Mitre EFL replica footballs. Make sure you play the predictor as well. More chances to win prizes courtesy of the Skybet EFL Rewards app. League One, I think we've got to start with uh, Doncaster Rovers. George, because they are in sensational form 
and it was kind of irresistible force meets immovable object in terms of the form of Oxford and Doncaster going into this weekend. And Donny left three, two winners. Uh, I want you to tell me about this game. Donny now, five wins in a row, 2.09 points per game, the highest number in League One. They've still got 23 games left, which is the most in the EFL alongside Accrington and Carlisle. But they're in unbelievable, Nick, aren't they? Uh, yeah I mean yes yes they are they are picking up points at a rate and you know I mentioned with Bournemouth how <clears throat> sometimes it's the individual quality of certain players that can make the difference and that was definitely the case here because all three finishes were well I mean I think Jack Stevens in the Oxford goal will probably feel upset to have been beaten by Taylor for the first but Okunabire's goal was a lovely finish into the bottom left-hand corner and Taylor Richards wow um you know, I was frustrated to see you tweet about it because I was quite upset at the time. Then we suddenly my phone started going mental, but you know, it was a lovely nutmeg and then a beautiful finish. I, I think with this game, both managers will come away from it happy. I mean, Carl Robinson will not be happy by the result, but Oxford played better in this game than in probably the majority of their of their recent wins um, in that nine. Certainly better than they played against Fleetwood. Certainly better than they played against um, Rochdale. I said before the game, this was an opportunity for Oxford to show what they are all about uh, against one of the better sides in the division. 17 shots, only conceded five shots. They will feel like they did that, even if the result and the scoreline doesn't show it. Um, a, a key moment here for me was was the fact that Alex Gorin was on a uh, yellow card because I think if you look at the build-up of, of the second goal, if he's not on a yellow card, he just takes the man out um, on the counter attack and it and it stays one all. Um, but for oh, so he didn't get he didn't get yellow carded for pure embarrassment of being megged to quite no. such an extent by young <laughs> no. gem Taylor Richards. No, he was already he was already on a yellow then. Otherwise, he probably just would have lamped him. Um, but and, and then for Donny, they're going to be happy because Darren Moore will come away from this knowing that this was a very difficult game against one of the form sides of Europe, and they. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm just, I just—I don't know why I found that funny, but one that was taken—that was taken from Quest. One of the form sides in Europe just tickled me. Sorry. One, one, one of the form sides in the land. By far the greatest team the world has I mean, ever in seen. Fairness, in fairness, probably one of the form time, one of the form teams in the world. Wow. I just haven't had the time to look. Uh, <laughs> oh, um, but he will know that this was a difficult game and that they were able to come through with three points and were clinical in doing so. Um, I'm pretty sure he wouldn't want to play it again. I'm pretty sure Carl Robinson would. Um, but in terms of the performance, the losing side would have been would have been fairly happy. So, um, yeah, a massive win for Donny. It's, it's hard now to see any reason why they won't be in the mix at the top end of the table at the end of the season. And for Oxford, you know, it may be an end of this of this kind of continental beating run. Um, but <laughs> uh, but I don't think there'll be too many. Um, hours of sleep lost in terms of the performance european football expert george ellick there on the mm. not the top 20 we podcast. mentioned sid Lowe. we should ask sid about the uh about the other the other informed teams in europe i liga in league one uh, yeah there are only three teams in the efl on or above two points per game brentford as discussed doncaster at 2.09 and lincoln who are top of the table uh they've got 2.04 points per game donny with two games in hand over them three points back uh, Lincoln won on Friday night live on Sky. I think everyone's enjoying watching this Lincoln side at the moment. This was a an excellent business-like display in many ways. That they, they allowed Gillingham to have quite a lot of the ball and ostensibly to be putting the pressure on, certainly in the first half, uh, in a way that maybe Gillingham aren't suited to. Uh, certainly uh, when I think of Jill's big wins in recent weeks, they've done magnificent things out of possession and actually caught teams cold on the counter in transition and, and trying to get Jordan Graham one-on-one -on -one and delivering balls in, into a box before a defence is set. And actually, Lincoln were pretty happy for Jills to have it. And it was Lincoln on the break and Lincoln who made the most of, of their moments of transition. That was the big difference here. George Grant turning it on, uh, playing magnificently well. What a fantastic player he is. But as as is always the case with Lincoln, you can pick 7, 8, 9, 10, dare I say it, 11 key performers. And, and that kind of sums up this team. Uh, they're in seriously good nick as well at the moment. And uh, those two are the sides to catch in League One, which is exciting. Uh, certainly not two of the sides that we thought would be in that group of what what we thought was six or eight 
uh, teams gunning for for League One promotion. So another fantastic uh, instalment of uh, of the EFL's middle child here in League One. And then the next one I want to talk about is uh, well, the, the team in third, Hull's game. They lost to Burton. Don't really care about Hull here. I was really really taken by this Burton display. Certainly, even though they are five points from safety, life in the old dog. I think and. It's a really interesting one about Jimmy Floyd. Um, his Burton team were excellent in his first spell, weren't they? Uh, but then they had a run of four or five managers who were excellent for Burton in a row. And you sort of think, to an extent, they are lucky to be managing a, a team like Burton in that time who, who were just getting things right all over. And, and the transition between managers was pretty seamless. And so you almost take a, you take a little bit away from just the you know, pure manager praise in a, in, a, in a funny kind of way. And then, of course, at QPR, it didn't work out at all. But certainly, he's gone straight in at Burton, and the most noticeable thing is the, the team shape out of possession, where previously they were pretty all over the place, I think it's fair to say. Now, it's hard to it's hard to play through them at all. It's hard to get into dangerous areas against this Albion side, and that's pretty exciting, I think. The most exciting thing for me was, given they're playing a team at the very top of the league, you'd expect half an hour to go nil-nil, 20 minutes to go nil-nil, that Hull would be the team applying the pressure, that maybe Burton would, would try and cling on for a point, but not a bit of it. It was Burton's bench players that made the difference. They smelt blood and they had a late sting in the tail. And now I'm trying to think of more cliches that I can use in this answer. Um, but I was really impressed, really, really impressed. Six January signings in the starting eleven. So, I mean, it's half of a new team. It's a new manager. It's kind of like we should give them a new name and, and, and not tar them with the same brushes as Burton Albion from from the first half of the season because, as I say, there's life in the old dog, yeah. Exciting stuff. George Ipswich, 2, Blackpool, nil. Peterborough, 2, Crew nil. Rochdale, nil. Charlton, 2. Uh, a trio of 2-0 wins there. I'd like to know which one you'd like to talk about. Um, I don't really know. I think, I guess, Ipswich we have to discuss because credit where credit's due. We spend a lot of time on this podcast, or we have done over the last 12 months, slamming Ipswich and saying how poor they've been and talking about Paul Lambert. So when they take on a side in, in Blackpool, who are <clears throat> one of the you know teams in better form and who we, I probably expect to trend upwards and past Ipswich in the next few months, um, they were good value for their win. Um, they, you know, Blackpool didn't create a great deal. Embleton had a decent shot early on, um, but it was a lovely finish from Alan Judge for the first and then a set-piece goal. And then they were able to kind of sit on their lead fairly comfortably. Um, in terms of, of surprises, this was probably one of the games that surprised me the most. Uh, Parrot, again, didn't get his first goal, but started up front, as we were promised. Um, so I guess if Ipswich are going to improve and are going to actually be the force that their fans are hoping for. Results like this should be the norm. They haven't been recently, um, but this this may be the start of something. We'll see. It was, as you say, the, the, the most notable thing, and it doesn't take long to say, it's not amazing analysis, but it was just quite a good performance. And, and in most of their wins recently, you, you probably couldn't say that with great confidence. So something to build on, certainly. And, and Matheson came in at right back. Chambers, uh, who's been such a stalwart of this club, but I think it was the first time he'd been left out of a game that he was available for uh, in maybe two years or 18 months or so. So maybe the beginning of the end. I certainly like my fullbacks to be pretty mobile in the modern game. And, and I think Matheson has that edge over Chambers, if not the, the experience. Uh, and Parrot as well. Good noises being made from the Ipswich fans, even if he didn't get on the score sheet there. Uh, Peterborough 2-0 against Crewe was a really impressive performance. I sort Lovely of, pitch. I sort of feel like, I say this like maybe once every three weeks on the pod, I'll talk about Peterborough and I'll and I'll wax lyrical about the performance levels more so than, than the results. And it makes me think that at their best, they probably are, you know, joint best team in the league or maybe the best team in the league at their absolute best. But it's not quite happening enough, which is why they're not at the very top of the table. But they're in good form. They're brilliant against Crew on a terrible pitch, as you say. I think taking the lead of Gillingham a few weeks ago, who pressed Crew really intensely, who basically made the most of Omar Beckles' poor ability on the ball compared to some of their previous centre-backs, um, and, and made the most of it. You know, you saw with their two goals, Siriki, uh, Smodix, Clark Harris dovetailing, combining, but they they restricted crew as well. They didn't let them get into too many dangerous areas, and and that is a really impressive feat. Good performance. Crew need to work out what they're going to do now when they're being pressed violently. You know, Lancashire, Beckles, Billy Jones, three of the back four, 
probably not as good on the ball as as ideally you'd have in this crew side the way they like to play so something to think about of course they're going to have a busy summer of recruitment aren't they bit of money to spend um some big players to replace so t- a team to watch but but potentially crew you know they're in ninth but it's a bit of a false position they've played 28 games way more than anyone else uh their points per game tally i think actually has them in the bottom half so or, or just on the cusp so uh work for them to do and then charlton 2-0 rochdale charlton superior in all departments here Stockley uh, getting a lot of credit, winning a lot of headers, bullying the defenders, and, and Chuck Sanike, who, as we've discussed before, is he's leading the league in non-penalty goals per 90, but he can't play like two or three games in a row. He, he sort of he comes marked fragile in big red letters, uh, which is must be quite frustrating because when he's on and when he's switched on and when he's motivated, he is an unbelievable handful at this level, uh, as Rochdale found out. And uh, Rochdale's uh, popular attack which is built on pure vibes, as we've said before. I just never never quite, never quite got going in this one. Swindon nil, Shrewsbury run was a was a miserable encounter. A very What's a goal though. A very poor game lit up by a player we, we said this about him last week, George. Harry Chapman. Chaparu. I, I will say again, is he possibly really good? Because <laughs> recent evidence suggests he might be really good. He's not going to keep this up, I can promise you that. But He's he... not going to score a goal from outside the box every single game. That's crazy I talk. I don't think so. I don't think so. But he is really, you know, he's providing that impetus from from deeper areas. He's got a brilliant strike on him. He's incredibly positive on the ball. Um, and he gives a, a, what was a fairly one-dimensional team another dimension. Um, so Two dimensions. Yes, maybe soon they'll get a third. And we'll be able to see them in their full form. The 3D shrews would be uh, quite a thing. Uh, Wigan lost 3-2 to Wimbledon. Uh, Wimbledon, their first game under very lively, quite punchy caretaker manager Mark Robinson, whose interviews I'm enjoying watching uh, in the last week or so. They were tuning up and, and, well, as it was not very much not cruising, Wimbledon fought their way back into the game, but a pig at penalty made it a, a valuable three points. They'd only got two points, of course, in their previous 11 games, Wimbledon, and they did have to do it the hard way. But Robinson certainly making a case for, well, making a case just to just to have a few more games and see how the team react to him. In League Two, uh, George, we've got league leaders in Cambridge. I mean, it's crazy in League Two, isn't it? I I sometimes worry that I bang on about points per game too much, but it's quite helpful when, when there's such a, a difference in games played. But I talked about Lincoln and Donny being just over two points per game at the top of League One. Cambridge are top of League Two with 1.78 points per game average. Um, there's just nothing between about 10 teams in this league at the moment. Mm. It's, it's pretty exciting. I thought their win against Barrow was a, is one of those where actually the result itself doesn't look like it stands out. But if you look a bit deeper into the performances, into the context, you know, only two teams have won at Barrow this season before the weekend. They've got Okadina on loan from Spurs, who's been thrust into the heart of the defence after they lost Darling uh, and Cundy uh, in January. Drysdale came in on loan from Cov at the base of, of what was kind of a diamond midfield. And, and they... They just put together a really strong performance in all areas. They've obviously got the top scorer in the league in Paul Mullin and the fifth top scorer in Ironside. And it's nice to see a strike partnership. Um, people always say, it's old school, isn't it? It's old school. Two strikers. Two strikers. Four, four, two. Two strikers scoring goals. It's old school. Well, I'm not sure I'm not sure it's old school when one of your wingers is Wes Houlihan. <laughs> well, Houlihan. <laughs> that is, or, or is that very, very old school because he's old? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I would just, talking of uh, lovely Wes, that Statsbomb piece I referenced earlier, got some great stuff from across all three leagues and the bit on Wes Houlihan. He's top in League Two, George, for carries of the ball and through balls. And I think that really sums up what a classy operator he is. And as we know, someone who can carry the ball through the middle of the park and someone who can play accurate through balls to set up chances for their teammates. Literal gold dust. He is the League Two gold dust. Uh, Where's Houlihan? Quite a few other lively results. Uh, the first defeat for Truman and Sellers at uh, at Bradford. They well Exeter came from behind to beat them three um, two. Would you like to talk to me about that game, or would you like to pick out another eye catching result in the fourth tier of English football? Well, I, I'm going to talk about Tranmere Port Vale if that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. Um, but just quickly, an interesting thing just to note on the Barrow Cambridge game. Um, was that you mentioned that it may not look like a, a big result. Barrow actually went off favourites for the game, um, which will surprise some people. 
I saw a lot of a lot of people who on a Saturday morning will do their ackers um, just looking at league tables being like, what is going on with that Cambridge price? And, you know, to be honest, I couldn't really tell you. I think Barrow probably have been fairly unlucky in recent weeks. But, you know, that should show you that this wasn't just a regulation 2-0 win here. Um, Barrow was seen by, by well, by the betting as, as being the more likely winners, albeit marginally. Uh, for Tranmere, Port Vale, I mean, I said that people have got to start taking Donny seriously. I think people have got to start taking Tranmere seriously now because when you've got James Vaughan in this kind of form, there aren't many strikers who are, who are too much better than him who you can expect to score goals at this level at the rate that he's doing at the moment. His first um, touch, the take for his first goal was mm, mm, too good. Too good. And I, li- and I like the second goal as well. There was a certain composure to, you know, it was, it was an awkward angle for him to finish it um, and just use all of his kind of experience to steady himself and get the shot off through some bodies into the back of the net. He's just a very good player at that, at that level. Keith Hill is a is a wily manager. Um, and, you know, this is a side who, in terms of, of personnel, isn't too different to one that got promoted a couple of years ago, who came down and, and, and was seen to be one of the teams maybe more likely to get promotion back up. And they're currently in third place, just four points off top, top spot. So um, they don't seem to be a massive... Um, seen, they don't seem to be seen as a big part of this promotion race, but but I think they're there, they're there on merit at the moment. And the run of form they're on at the moment um, if they continue that, there aren't many who can catch them. Yeah, Kane Willery has, has scored in three straight games for them. And interesting that two players who are quite popular amongst the fan base, certainly for uh, certainly for their talent, if not always their consistency, Morgan Ferrier uh, and then maybe more so Corey Blackett-Taylor. Both of those guys barely been involved at all in this good five-game run. Uh, I haven't quite got to the bottom of why. Um, so I, it's one of those where either... You know they're doing fine without them, and maybe there's a suggestion that they they sort of don't really fit in the in in what's working currently, or they've got two proper sparks that that could be coming back into the the picture and could really add even more to this side. So really exciting time for Super White Army. Uh, Exeter, as I said, came from behind to beat Bradford. Proper game of two halves. This Bradford better in the first half. Exeter got stronger and stronger as the game went on. Uh, impressive to win without uh, Rory McArdle, who, as we mentioned on the Totally Football League show, extra time, having been their hero in midweek, scoring the winner at Stevenage and also uh, receiving a nasty gash to the gonads. He uh, <laughs> he didn't recover in time for this one, but uh, Exeter got the job done. My favourite stat from this game was that Crankshaw and Vernon, which sounds like an accountancy firm, but it's actually two... Two Bantams, two Bradford players. They both scored with their first shots in a Bradford shirt, uh, wow. having signed recently. So, um, but no, I mean, look, you've got Matt Jay squeezing in a penalty for the win. Um, probably would have, maybe a draw would have been more more fair on balance of play. But uh, Bowman came to the fore in the second half, and and he's been brilliant this season, scoring more goals than than uh, in previous seasons, and looking very good. So important for Exeter, they, they'd won two of their last eight, and they were both against Stevenage. So just to get. You know, no offence to Stevenage, but just to get a win against a side in, in good form um, will, will have been pretty important. And then, George, Crawley 1, Harrogate 3, or Newport 1, Grimsby 0. I mean, Grimsby, last week, we said it was an embarrassment the way they lost that game very late against Stevenage, scoring an equaliser in the 92nd, conceding straight from kickoff. I mean, they really do find different ways to lose a game because against Newport, they had 74% possession. They had racked up 1.83 expected goals, didn't score any, nil one defeat. I, I mean, they've lost in a lot of different ways this season, but that's probably the first time they've like genuinely controlled a game and and you know been the better yeah. side in many ways, and and they still lost. I mean, it's hard to know how much of those you know the, the the stats you talk about are due to the red card to Scott Bennett after 37 minutes. Probably a fair amount, um, but it did sound like they had the better of the game even before that. Uh, but it must be frustrating for Paul Hurst. I'm sure he'll be happy to have seen some signs of life from his Grimsby side. You know that they they were they were better um, in terms of, of their control of the ball, their ability to create chances. But but Newport somehow ran out winners. And then you know you mentioned the the Harrogate Crawley game where Mark Wright started a left back for Crawley. I just I have no sympathy. Um, did, you I, watch, that's, did you watch the first goal? If you if yeah, you... And he just can't. He couldn't run back properly. And I don't you know it's. I understand that Mark Wright isn't a competition winner, right? You know, he, well, he probably has won a couple in, in his time, but he, he he's somebody who, who has a footballing pedigree. I get that. 
he, he was part of the West Ham youth team, George, in the 90s, between the age of 7 and 12. So don't forget the, that. The, the notion that he is playing left-back for Crawley on merit is ridiculous. And mm, it's mate, just, he, it's, he actually played one game for England C in 2008. So. It, it, and it's, it's just, yeah, if I was a Crawley fan, having seen your side do what they did to Leeds a couple of weeks ago, to see them 3-0 down at home a half-time to, to Harrogate, and no disrespect for Harrogate, it could be anybody, um, with Mark Wright playing left-back, I'd be, I'd be pretty annoyed. Well, he got hauled off, didn't he? Part of a triple sub. I can only imagine how grumpy John Yems was at half-time and uh, made the changes. And, and look, George, they won the second half, didn't they? 3-1 um, defeat overall, though. I, I'm just... I want to know what John Yems thinks about it all, basically, because... He has to be up for it to a certain extent. Um, yeah. doesn't come across like the sort of person who would just do as he's told, like a puppet for someone higher up telling him what to do. Uh, and that, you know, they wouldn't have achieved what they've achieved this season if that were the case. So uh, he's obviously partly up for it, but then he also is hauling him off at half time. It's, uh, it's, it's very confusing, I must say. Incredible first half from Harrogate, though. They were brilliant. Um, they were, yeah, they were electric in transition and... Uh, uh, they've got some really good performers in recent weeks, Harrogate. Just so they started to turn things around a little bit. They had that poor run of form, but then in their last five, uh, two wins, two draws and one defeat. So they're just easing any fears that they might get sucked in. Uh, the only hitch was Will Smith being sent off by the man you in black. You nicked that off Colin? No, Colin nicked that off me. Okay. No, that's harsh. Colin, <laughs> I, I tweeted Will Smith sent off by the man in black. Uh, got ahead early on the Twitter account. Well done, yeah, yeah, nice. Then that was used on the Quest show, and then Colin, to be fair, did say the only hitch, and I thought that was quite good, so I've just nicked it. Nicked yes. it. I've nicked it. It's, co- it's collaboration, George. That's what you don't understand. It's all one big collaboration. Um, I think I think that brings us to the end of the League 2 action because it's pretty chaotic at the moment with the old waterlogged pitches. We lost five games, I think, on the weekend to that. Um, well, waterlogged and or frozen. Uh, well, actually, you probably can't be both. Anyway, that's not my area of expertise. Salford, George, have, they've lost four of their five home games already in 2021. The weather is so poor that it's hard to imagine that it just magically gets better overnight there. It's it's hard to know what they're going to do. I saw someone suggest that they might have to look into alternative venues to play their games mm. because otherwise they're going to run out of games. I mean, Carlisle have got 23 games to play. We're looking every week at the schedule there is enough there are enough slots in the schedule currently to play maybe 25 at a push it, you know if you have to if you're able to play wednesday saturday essentially but it, stri- it strikes kind of me running that out given that there aren't fans i mean i know that the journeys are, are, are not ideal but just play the game if you can play the game at the away ground i i, I mean I, I understand that there there is still a sorry tangible... do you mean in like if you're salford for example yeah 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 you know i i know there's still a tangible benefit to teams playing at home even if it is diluted but you need to you need to get the games played Salford normally better away than they are at home um, to be go. fair although that might not be the case this year I'm looking at it now yeah no unbeaten at home to be fair <laughs> um, the other thing I'd like to say before we wrap up is that and you know you've got to find the positives in this ridiculous situation that we are all in right now and specifically when it comes to the EFL um, I don't want to moan about scheduling because there's there's not a lot that we can do about the weather. There's not a ton that people can do about a global pandemic. But I would just like to say that we have seen some of the most remarkable kickoff times of all time this season, George. And we've got a new one. As we've been recording, Carlisle's game against Orient on Tuesday night has been brought forward to 2.30pm. No way! We've got some Tuesday afternoon League 2 action and I am buzzing for it. Yeah, me. That's great. Once I finish... Something to do. Yeah, I'll be doing my zonal marking podcast around two. And once that's finished, I'm going to put my feet up and put that second half on Carlisle uh, Orient. I think I reckon quite a good zonal marking idea would be for you and Coxie to watch it live and get Coxie's live reaction to Beach Ball. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Mm. You know what's amazing is that as we've been recording... We got followed on Twitter by, I think, someone who might have been one of your favourite ever players, Andy Burgess. Yeah. Do we love we love Andy Burgess, don't we? Love him, yes. So I he's mean, some Oxford fans don't, but he just oozed quality. So my kind of player. That's quite exciting that he followed us. That was about ten minutes ago. I looked on his profile, and his header 
photo was a was like a quote that said Megs are better than goals, which I think sums it up perfectly. What a guy. And I've just mm-hmm. gone on again and while we've been talking, he's changed his header. He's obviously having a hell of a day on Twitter.com. He's changed it to uh, him celebrating a goal, playing for I reckon Rushton and Diamonds. Yeah, he was very good there. So that's nice. He, he went back after he left us as well, played played QB for a bit. Do you know what? I'd love to do some sort of deep dive on Russian and Diamonds one day. Maybe one for like I'm trying to work out which, which of our which of our different Burge, Lee Tomlin, <laughs> Simeon Jackson. Yeah, he was there, wasn't he? Um, fascinating. Okay, we probably stop recording now, shouldn't we? <laughs> Let's wrap this up, guys. Hope you've enjoyed this week's Not the Top Twenty Pod. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure that you follow us on Twitter at NTT Twenty Pod, where we are always delighted to hear from you. Of course, as long as you're being nice or at the very least polite. Um, and we're sponsored by the Skybet EFL Rewards app. It's just a great way to win rewards for checking into your team's games, which you can do on the app from anywhere in the world. Uh, for, for playing the predictor, testing your knowledge against other EFL fans from across the world and trying to become the, the number one predictor for your division. Um, but the upshot is you've got a chance of winning Football Manager 2021, if that interests you. A signed shirt from your club, which, I mean, if you're not interested in that, then I, it's a bizarre that you're one hour and five minutes into listening to an EFL <laughs> podcast. Uh, you can win I Follow match passes, so you can stream, for example... Carlisle's 2.30 kickoff on a Tuesday against Leighton Orient for free. Uh, and you can also win a Mitre EFL replica ball, which once we get our hands on one of these, George, the social media content, specifically when it comes to keep uppies, is going to go through the roof. And I can't wait. So thank you, George. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, join us again second half of the week. We'll have a Totally Football League show extra time. We'll have a betting show as well. But it's been our pleasure to talk EFL with you and we hope you've enjoyed it. And please do drop a share on Twitter if you have. Go well. We'll talk again soon.